You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, good people? Hello. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. I hope you're having or had a great 4th of July. I'm dropping this on 4th of July. So happy 4th of July. This episode is a lot of fun. I'm talking to James Santiago, currently with UA, or Universal Audio, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. This man has worked with a bunch of different gear companies, and he is responsible for some very, very crucial pieces of gear that we've come to know and love over the years. We get into all of that. We talk about the Universal Audio pedals. We talk about the Oxbox, which is another thing that he worked on. He's done so much, and to try to condense that into this intro would just be ridiculous. I don't even think we even scratch the surface on this whole episode, but still, it's a great conversation. I think you're really, really going to enjoy it, and you're going to hear some familiar names scattered throughout this episode, so definitely keep your ears perked for that, and I just want to let you know, if you're a patron of the podcast, you already heard this one. Because you support the show, and I super appreciate you. And if you would like to get access to early content, bonus content, all that good stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash tonemob, where for five bucks a month, you get, I mean, there's like hundreds of episodes behind that wall, like hundreds. You can also get to it if, through Apple Podcasts. If you are an Apple subscriber, you can see that there's premium content available in your feed. You just do the whole face scanny thing and it will allow you to access that there as well. It's the same price, but most people are familiar with Patreon, so that is usually where people go. So if you would like to do that, patreon.com slash tonemob, and I would super, super appreciate it. Also, there's another sneak peek episode up there right now. That's enough blabbering. Let's get into this episode. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland. With me today, I have James Santiago from Universal Audio and like... And stuff. And the stuff. stuff. Like cetera, so much whatever, stuff, yeah. right? <laughs> just add an ellipsis, stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I play guitar. And you sometimes do? I play guitar? Okay. We love guitar. We do. We love it. But we're here. You're here in Sweetwater. In, Sweet, in Fort Wade, Indiana, for, and the, probably the center of the universe for guitar in this country. <laughs> Absolutely. This is it. Absolutely. So, you know, basically the way this show usually goes is uh, this, all these episodes I've recorded here have been a little bit different just because it's, you know, everyone's kind of here to focus on the product and, you know, that's, so that's been sort of the focus, even though I try to distract them with other things. But shiny objects, exactly. Well, yeah. shiny objects, pizza, you know, whatever I can, yeah. whatever I can do. Okay. Yeah. But with you, like I've heard your name thrown around so many times. I know you've done a ton of work on the recent UA stuff. And I was like, you know, there's a perfect opportunity for me to talk oh. to somebody that has a lot of experience in this industry Supposedly. and actually, <laughs> and like get to know you and then we can, you know, go into the universal yeah. stuff. So, you know, What's uh what's the story? What's the backstory? How did you get to be sitting here right now? Um uh, that that is I'll try to keep a, a short version of that. All right. Uh sometimes actually this comes up and somebody asks me, Well, how how do you get a job like I have? Right. And I get that. And sometimes I'll do like a lecture or a class. We talk about music business or some other things that relate to all of that. Yeah. 
and it, I have to give an answer that's partly I don't know. Okay. And partly <laughs> a a course corrected version of everything associated with music and guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for anyone who's, you know, when you start playing music young, you just want to play music. Totally. And you know, at least I didn't have an idea of like, is this a job? Am I going to join a band? I just played, started playing when I was about five or six, mm-hmm. really young. So that's all I kind of knew growing up. Right. And then at some point, you get in the band in high school. And then I, I really, the quick part was there's a really weird period from like 14 to 20 years old. It's always weird during that time. It, yeah, it's, it's weird enough being a teenager <laughs> and getting a driver's license and, you know, becoming sort of a young adult. Mm-hmm. And that was a period where I felt like I aged 20 years. Oh. Um, because the minute I got to 14 or so, people who were twice my age started realizing I could play. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you need to be in a band. So I started playing in high school bands who were my age. Yeah. And then I got into working bands who were in the 30s and 40s playing professional gigs. Oh. So I would do jazz band in the morning at high school. Which mm-hmm. we, they called it a zero class in California. Right. So it'd be 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. I'd do school. I'd go to the adult band rehearsal. Or I'd play with my high school band and then gig all weekend. Wow. So it became music 24-7 by the time I was 15. I got my driver's license and was immediately driving to gigs. Wow. So by the time I got to, I graduated at 17, got offered a teaching position with guitar because I somehow didn't have a life. I just played guitar. All the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. And then by 19, I started working for Guitar Player Magazine. And at the time, pre-internet, that was like... That's a big deal. It is the only, it was the Bible of guitar. You had guitar world, guitar Mm -hmm. player, maybe guitar for the practicing musician. But guitar player was the first most historic magazine. Luckily, the editors, a lot of them lived the next town over from me. There you go. And that, it's when you talk about heard the name of like, I've been hearing that since I was a kid because Mm -hmm. somebody come up to me like, hey, we hear there's this kid who has a band who plays bars once in a while, but I used to like to play whatever the, you know, the cover songs were. Yeah. But then at the end of the night, I would sneak in Wes Montgomery, Steve Vai, Eric Johnson tunes, mm-hmm. Almond Brothers tunes, stuff that was more like guitar centric. Yeah. And so people were hearing about somebody playing tunes who like, I would learn Cliffs of Dover like in 86 when I heard the sound page. Wow. Before the record was out. So I was like playing that stuff. And they were like, you need to come work for us because we want somebody to play test gear and, and like who knows about tone. I was obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And literally that, so you take it from that point to where my age now is, I haven't done anything since. That's, that has veered off of that. So going back a little bit to that, you know, you're, like you said, you got your license, you're immediately driving I'm driving. They didn't even have, you're supposed to have an adult with you right. at 15 and a half. You're like, oh no, my mom's like, you're, you're, a, just go. So you, that was going to be my question. Like, what did your parents think about this? Uh, my dad wasn't sure if it was a real job because mm-hmm. it doesn't look like one. Because, you know, I think for any of us, you know, in fact, we're in one now. It looks like a kid in a room with the door closed. <laughs> right now, right there's two we, big kids in a room with the door closed. It's yeah. called a studio, but we're in a, in a, we're in a room with the door closed with a bunch of guitars and some recording equipment. So I think to my dad, who worked in a factory, blue collar, mm-hmm. he's just like, you're going to burn the house down. Right. Because I had like a soldering iron. I started learning how to fix my own amps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all the, and I had like a butter knife. I was like cutting a humbucker into my strap <laughs> after seeing like Eddie Van Halen. So it was a disaster in there. I yeah. mean, there were tools everywhere. He, he literally was like, no. He just was scared. Wow. He just wasn't sure what the hell to make of it. Well, I mean, I kind of understand that because like that, that is my background too is blue collar stuff. And I used to be a mechanic and doing all these things. And so I've slowly, you know, Say, well, actually, 
somewhat quickly, you know, relatively. But I've slowly made this into a career somehow. And, you know, so here I find myself here right now. I'm like, pinch me. You know, because like to me, I'm still like, I mean, and I was reminded of this recently when I was tearing my roof off. I'm like, oh, I used to have to do this kind of stuff for a living. Oh, yeah. I'd way rather do this. This is oh. way more fun. Well, see, exactly what you're saying is where the t- actually I should mention the town I grew up in outside the Bay Area was not in the Bay Area where everything was cool. Right. It was an hour outside in a farming community, very small community. Okay. So it wasn't like there were musicians everywhere. It's not you couldn't didn't have an example to be like, well, Uncle Billy does it, yeah, you know, there, or whatever. There wasn't really any. I, I had one uncle who played guitar like 20 years before before that that I remember when I was a kid. But other than that, it, it was the family worked at it. We had a tortilla factory, my grandparents. Oh, they, whoa. They were hardworking, yeah. truck, driving tor- trucks to drop the tortillas off. My dad run in the factories. It was it was a blue-collar, hardworking, like, tough scene. So, for me, I was like the black chip, like, he just stays in his room all day. Right. That's what it looked like. I didn't, I didn't watch football. I didn't care about anything but guitar. And basically going to gigs where no one saw where I was. Because mm-hmm. I'd go play a wedding with some band and... Stocked in California in the middle of nowhere, but I'd come home with like a hundred bucks. Right. And for a 16-year-old to make a hundred bucks. Especially in that time. And during that period, I was like, I, I could save my money. I could buy a pedal. Ah. I could because dude, work my friends were working at like Taco Bell for like three bucks an hour. Right. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I, I played like uh well, I played Oh Yakomo at a wedding and like all these other songs. I made a hundred bucks and you know, I'm gonna go buy some used gear somewhere. It was so that already had, had, had uh, sort of trapped me into the, like, if I can continue to do this and study and learn. I used to also, I took every gig I could. I never mm-hmm. said no. That was one of the lessons was I didn't care what the music was. If it was a, a Motown gig, if it was rock gig, soul, I would just learn the material. Yeah. And that was one of the things I had to learn was, and that's what gave me this idea for learning all the players, the tone, the, all the sounds was, if it had a guitar in it, I was in. Mm-hmm. And it quickly turned into like, oh, if you mention any record, like, okay, that was probably this guy, this pedal, this amp. I started doing that really young. Wow. Because I would wanted to read everything I could. I'd watch every music video. I'd stay up late and try to tape Austin City Limits, stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, see, I, my, I always, I just grew up with my dad playing guitar. Oh, and so great. I just assumed that like, because he played, played guitar, he knew everything about guitar. And so I got a little older and I started listening to some of these metal bands, which was not at all what he was into. He pr- pretty much just played acoustic. I was like, how do I get my guitar to sound like this? How do I get it? You know, I didn't know that drop tuning was a thing. I didn't yeah. know that, like, you could do that. And, and he's like, he's like, honestly, I have no idea. I'm like, but but you play guitar. You're supposed to know these things. I'm like, 11 or 12. Like, how, Oh, yeah. I, no, I, nobody I knows that stuff. Yeah. yeah and he's like, I don't know that. So I'm calling up my local, like, guitar centers and things. And I'm just like... I think I need a bass distortion because it sounds really low. Do you have one of those? And like, I could tell they're just like, oh, geez, this kid, you know, he has oh, no man. idea what he's talking about. This is pre-internet. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, so I didn't even know where to go with all a lot of that until until some of the, um, I, like the internet came around because the styles of music I was in, interested in, there wasn't anybody around me that played it until I got right. older. Right, well, um, you, you, you needed those, at least you had your dad, which becomes sort of a, a mentor kind of thing. And, you know, having someone older than you, that at least you can ask the question. Yeah. And uh, I think for me, it's like I had to, you start finding those people who have a better record collection than you. Yeah. Pre-internet, you know? Because <laughs> you'd meet, I'm sure your dad would probably had, you know, 
guitar records or he'd learn stuff from his catalog Definitely. or whatever he listened yeah, to. Yeah, Waylon Jennings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, listen, you start listening to that. And, mm-hmm. and for me, my, my parents were like listening to Motown and uh, Jimmy Reed, which was like really old blue stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you start meeting other guitar players and like, hey man, you should check out this Jimi Hendrix record. Oh. And that's that's where you start, you know, or someone goes, dude, have you heard of Van Halen? I don't know. You know, and, it, and so I, I always encourage people to find someone older than them. And then the guys I was playing with were also playing material I'd never heard of. Yeah. So I was like, what is this? They're like, well, this is Billy Cobham's uh, Spectrum record and it's got a guy named Tommy Bolin in it and he's amazing. You should learn this because they'll, some of those guys would play all this other fancier stuff. To, to me, it was just like, but I'm still trying to play Roxanne. And I like the police. <laughs> yeah. All right. And it, I, it was, it's one of the best things as, as a community. You find a community of players, whether it's a drummer or a bass player. And some of those people I'm still real close friends with. You mm-hmm. know? There's, there's nothing like being like, like this. Where we're at now is a community of people who love the instrument, mm-hmm. music. You know, we just had a hallway conversation with another friend of mine that, who's, again, great player, just loves music, has a great time with it, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's it's wild to even think about. It's like, really, the, I mean, the reason this building exists and the reason that we're all here right now is just because we're so passionate about yeah. it. Like, I, I could have got into, like, you know, basket weaving or something, yeah. and it would be a different community that I'd be a part yeah. of. Like, you mean, is it, is it, is it, do accountants party? Do you know, is there like, I've heard they drink a lot. I heard, I've heard the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, go be an accountant. It's like, no, nah, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, to no. be honest with you. It, it, it's like, I don't want to look at the clock and go, well, it's 10 o'clock, time to start, and then it's 5 o'clock, time to go home. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start playing guitar, I swear, like, the t- it's a different time scale. Yeah. Oh, easily. Is, uh, and you're like, <laughs> three hours later, you're like, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, I was supposed to be, hmm, mm-hmm. here I am now. Isn't that strange? Like, <laughs> I did it with my wife. I just, just give me like 10 more minutes. I got to listen to this one thing. Mm-hmm. It's an hour later. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, what are you doing? You've played that same thing 75 uh, times. You're like, I haven't got it yet. Though. I got it yet. I haven't got it yet. It's, it's, it's finding, finding something that does that for you. So I'm not even sure if I'm answering questions very well, but, you know. It's, it's just conversation, it's, man. Yeah, because We're just having fun. Because I think it's that same thing that happened when I was young that I think also happened to you is if you find that zone and you stay in that zone, it, it, you're pretty lucky, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same thing. You know, I I got to a point in my job where it's like, I realized, man, every, I've done everything in my power to get to this point in my career. And I'm sitting outside of a subway going like, why am I still like upset? Like, not like upset i wasn't like didn't have like depression or anything i was just like why do i still like wake up every day and go ah and then got to thinking like well you've worked as hard as you possibly could to get here because you this is what you thought you wanted to do now you have to work as hard as you can to do the thing that you know you want to do you know and there's nothing wrong with making a that pivot once you realize that you know it's oh man that's you just said something really important that reminded me of a a really terrible and awesome story at the same time. Okay. As I think everyone, well, they probably still have me. When you get to a certain point in high school, they have like the guidance counselor that's supposed to help you figure out if you're going to college. Uh-huh. Or yeah. And I remember having that meeting with my guidance counselor. He's like, but what are you going to do when you go to high school? I'm like, I'm going to play guitar, dude. Yeah. I was, I was, I was like, I, maybe I think I'm going to go to JRT or something like that, LA, or I want to study music at one of these schools. There's nothing but guitar. And he just looked at me like I was an alien. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, you need a fallback plan. You need a plan B, C, and D because this, you're not going to make it. And I, and I was like, uh huh, nah, dude, trust me, I am, I am, I am in. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to be a real driven person to to deal with that because it make, almost makes you want it more. It's like, well, I don't care. I I I, I did end up going to um, actually what I ended up doing was teaching guitar. I went to uh, started in junior college so I could do a certain amount of credits. So it'd be junior college in the morning. I teach guitar in the afternoon, and play gigs at night. Mm-hmm. So there was two years I did that for sort of a twenty four hour day for a long time. Because I did want to, I did want to study music for real. And then at some point, some weird thing is like, well, I just started reading all three books on my own time because it was faster that way. Mm-hmm. And when someone's that driven, just like yourself, if you're that driven and you want it that bad, you're gonna make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like you know, we spend we, and and probably your generation experiences too. But like mm-hmm. we we get told, you know, go to school, get a job, and then when you're sixty, you'll get to do what yeah. you want, right? And I got to thinking, like, well, shouldn't, like, if you're going to spend most of your life doing something, some sort of work, yep. and I know this is impossible for everybody. I understand that, you know, we, we require roofers, and I don't think a lot of them just oh, love dude. doing that. You know, no. some of them do. I've met some so, that do. Yeah. But I think if, if you're going to be spending most of your time doing something, to the best of your ability, if you can make that something that you want to yeah. do, yeah money aside like you gotta have money to live you gotta have money to eat we'd all like more of it sure but, but if you know i would have been better off staying in my in the oil right. industry you know that would have been better for me oh man. but uh i didn't like it well you know you know, know what's <laughs> you weird know? dude there's a whole other thing which is really why and i think this is okay this is um i like to play other instruments and i suck at them I, <laughs> you know i i have a nice drum so I, I love playing drums and i'm okay at it but there's also this other thing that, you know, maybe it's not your primary thing. And this comes back to even for, for someone who still loves guitar, but, you know, maybe you, you're you good at something else. Maybe you're good at computer science or you you love the, you know, doing some other mechanical engineering thing. And that's your day job now, but you still love guitar. I have lots of friends who have these split passions. It's like, it's like, well, oh, it's, yeah. okay, it's okay to do the, the day gig because, you know what, maybe they get that one or two hours at night or on the weekend where they still get to play their guitars. And it's that joy that offsets the other stuff. Or maybe, I mean, it's really like we, we as a society, tend to like categorize people like you're a guitar player, you're a producer, you're a whatever. But it's like, hey, you know, I know, I know some dentists that are also really good musicians and they also like working on teeth. Like yeah. you can have multiple things that you're into. You don't have oh, to dude. go as hard as we did, yeah. you know, into one specific thing. But I think it's important for people to realize like, you know, to a certain degree, you can try to, you know, make your life into something that generally is interesting to you, where you're not yeah. just like waking up and going, oh, geez, no, please yeah. not. Please yeah. not another one. Please not another one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, my version of that is like playing bad B3 or drums or something. Because mm-hmm. if I was in a room full of real B3 players, it'd be like, that dude sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm having the greatest time for that night because it's just, it's stress relieving. Some Some people meditate. I like to play other instruments terribly. Yeah, I feel that. You yeah. know, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, and I don't even know where I'm going with this other than the fact that, you know, it's, it's, which is, again, I should land where I do have a pretty high stress job. Yes. There, there's we a, should, we should get back to that. So we kind of yeah, got it's, a little sidetracked, but. But it's, it's all related. To, it's like, it's, it's what I like doing. But when you start doing it at the level you're doing it now, you I mean, you're on the radar, you're a public person now and. You you have to <laughs> you, know, you have to know your stuff. Do your research. You know, be be an inspiration to some other folks, or at least get the right information out. And 
So there's a, a big responsibility to do things right. Right. Well, and and to, for me to be as open and honest about what I don't know too, because right. there's a lot that I don't know. Right. You know, even at this event today, like I'm not a I'm not a big video guy, so I've had to like I I'm going around to booths and filming content in these, and I've never done that before. And so I just tell everybody when I go in, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. So we're learning together, yep. you know, and and just kind of doing that. I know how to do this. Right. This is what I am passionate about and know how to do. So, you know, when I was invited to come out here, I was like, I don't do videos. All the other people do videos. And they didn't ask me to do video, but I was like, I feel like, you know what? Yeah. Why not learn? Yeah. You know, not? these are my peers too. They can yep. help me. And so, you know, I'm here trying to do video, but it, I am going into every booth and like, I don't do video. So we're yeah. kind of flying by the seat of my pants here. And, uh, you know, I had a great time with it because people knew I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, that, and I just goofed around with them. It was just like, I was at the Sure booth yesterday, zooming in too far on Yuri's face yes. on purpose and just being like, oh, guys can see your nose. Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Have a good time. So, yeah. Man. We had a blast. But um, circling back to, so, yeah. So we left off at Guitar Player mm -hmm. and then there's some sort of gap in there to lead you to UA. Yeah. Uh, uh, Universal uh, Audio, I uh, should say. Yeah. And this this will make more sense is, um, as I started doing that sort of um, working at nights for the editors or listening to gear, I started going to trade shows mm -hmm. to, to to kind of round up like it'd go well. Uh, God, I was 19 or 19 or something. I'm like, okay, we're going to summer or winter NAM in Anaheim. And my job was just go look at all the new gear. Yeah. Because there was no online thing to go, you had to go look at it all. So I'd have my notepad, I'd take notes and go look at all the new gear. And then we'd go to these dinners where you end up meeting every single person who designed all of that gear. Mm -hmm. So I'm at a really young age, all of a sudden realizing I'm sitting in the room with the people who designed the new Stratocaster, the new Marshall head, the, and we're having these, and I'm meeting all of these people who are a couple, a generation or two generations above me who were the creators of this stuff. Yeah. And I started realizing I'm learning a really weird skill here of being able to sort of tear apart a piece of gear tonally, feature-wise, and getting into that mindset of how to look at a piece of some go, does that work? Does it sound good? Does it do? Who does it talk to? Yeah. Like, you can look at a piece of gear and go, well, who's that meant for? Maybe I personally wouldn't use it, but I can see where they're going. With it. Mm -hmm. And that's, a, your brain starts to get rewired into, into that. It's almost like, like how a good chef can just look at produce and go, okay, that goes with that. That probably goes with that. That's not for today. Right. <laughs> and and it's literally the same thing as you, you you start getting these weird skills. So at some point, as I was doing that and gigging still, I started doing fly dates for bands. So I was now flying to gigs, learning material, writing stuff for those guys and helping out. And at some point, I did almost a decade of that. Um, and then somebody at Line 6, uh, a friend of mine, George Tripps, he's like, hey, man, you should come work here. We're working on some projects. That I just tried to get him to come in here, and he didn't I just it. had breakfast with him. So he's, <laughs> see, he's, he, he, uh, you, tell, yeah. you tell George I'm not too bad. I don't bite. Well, you know? <laughs> I won't give him his ride to the airport later. If he's, yeah, no, I'll tell him. No, it's, but see, and that's, again, this is a long time ago. Mm -hmm. He's like, man, you should come here, and we're, we're working on a project uh, where you got to be able to play guitar and know the history and do the sounds. And there's a thing called Guitar Port. Okay. It was a long time ago, but... So they, I, I flew down there and they're like, look, eh, how do we get you to just work for us? We know you do all these other things for all. And I was consulting for other companies too. Mm -hmm. Between after stopping doing stuff, stuff for guitar player, like there's a lot of other companies like I'd help like uh, a lot of pedals and pickups. I secretly helped sort of 
work on the sound of. Yeah. Which I'm probably never supposed to say, but there's probably a lot of products from 25 years ago that I was involved in. Okay. And so secret. Surely that's expired. Like that NDA yeah, yeah, is yeah. expired by now. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never know. But okay. So I, I'll say like one particular one is uh, like as I was gigging, I got real friendly with, okay, this is actually a pretty funny story. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So uh, DeMarzio was trying to make noiseless, noiseless single coil pickups. Mm-hmm. And I hated them. Okay. And unfortunately, when you, now that I was in that scene, Larry DiMarzio found out I didn't like them. Okay. Now, I'm still in my brain. I'm Now I'm just 20-something. But he, my phone rings one day, and it's Larry DiMarzio. Mm-hmm. It's like, you don't like these pickups? What the hell's wrong with them? <laughs> he called me, and he got my number and called me at home. And I'm like, hi, hi Mr. DiMarzio. Yeah. Hello, Larry. Hello, I mean, can Larry. I call you Larry? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just reads me the riot act, and he was right to do it. Um, I said, well, they, they're not they're high end. They're missing this. They're not good. And he's like, oh, well, wait a minute then. He calls Steve Blucher, who's, Blucher's the guy who really designed all of the pickups for Steve Vai, Joe Sartre-Ran. Mm-hmm. He was really the hardcore designer. That, I'd seen his name a thousand times. He's like, okay, you stay put. I'm having Steve Blucher call you next. So okay. what turned into a mad fog, turned into, Okay, now you go tell Steve all of this stuff. You're like, uh, uh okay, all right, sure, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, and from that point on, Mr. Blucher, me, I've known that man forever. We, he would just like, okay, you want to try this? And every week, I would just get pickups. Wow. And I'd put them in, write notes. Like, nope, yes, no, yes, no. Mm-hmm. And I would take him to, he, I would be doing a gig somewhere. I'm like, he's like, where are you at? I'm like, I'm in Vegas for doing two weeks at a thing. He's like, okay. Every two days, I'd go down to the hotel lobby and there'd be a little box from DeMario. And, I, mm. and I'd had a solder iron. I'd wire the pickups on them. And I'd between sets even. Like that's how much it was like fun to me to do that kind of stuff. So so that times a whole bunch of other times I'd help other friends with just because I wanted to and learn. Mm-hmm. Pickup design. Yeah. Never, never did anything with it. But. But I, mean, I, hey. got to, I got to do that just because it's like, it's a skill you pick up from just going, well, you know what? That's like you said about video. Like, you, you know, it's fun. Just go do it. Just do it. Yeah. Do it. And you realize, there's, well, there's not that much to it. You just got to make yourself do it. Mm-hmm. So that's one particular thing. So I started realizing I got really excited about design and sound. And so that, that now leads you to why when Line 6 is like, yeah, just do all of the things you do. Just do it all for us now. Wow. Like, we'll move you to L.A., you just just quit all the other things. Just work solely for us. That, and and that, I did that. They put a lot of trust in you there. They did, which uh, God bless them, because that was a, that was a roll of dice, man. Uh, <laughs> but I, at, at that point, I'm I'm almost thirty. Okay. So you figure that between nineteen to twenty nine, thirty, the stuff I'd experienced was insane. Yeah. Already. Oh, absolutely. So so I guess it makes sense to them. They're like, no, we because just like you. They had heard my name from all these other people, companies. are like, oh, you want that? Just talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can get him. If yeah. you can get him to focus. And So I started doing that. And then that led me to, to working on products there for a number of years. Secretly, funny enough, that guitar part project was about doing some backing tracks. Okay. So you were supposed to do this. Te- so I learned I could proofread tablature. I could, I, and I ended up playing on the tracks, funny enough. And I wasn't supposed to. Because some of the players in LA couldn't play this stuff note for note. Oh wow! So here's the weird one. <laughs> during that, yeah, during that period where we're supposed to be doing that, they're like, "Well, we're going to do these backing tracks for us, and we're also going to license them to another company, and we need to be able to turn off the guitar so you can play along with it." 
And some of the artists couldn't replay, they needed to replay the stuff so they could have a multi-track that you could turn off the different, mm-hmm. like, in, like in Rock Band, basically. Yeah, totally. And I'm like, well, I could probably, so I ended up doing a whole bunch of the Stevie Ray songs, Eric Johnson, Santana songs, because I already knew the material. Totally. I could just play it and read the time and make sure I played it right. And, uh, and say, some of those people we talked to, they're like, hey, can you just replay it? They're like, no, just find somebody else. I can't do it. And so I ended up doing a bunch of that stuff. And then that got sold to a video game. So um, uh, within a year later, me, I did that at night as a favor to the company. I wow. wasn't in my job. <laughs> so I'd work at Line 6 all day, go home, eat dinner, and re-record guitar parts all through the night. Get up at 7, go back to work. And that ended up being Guitar Hero. Okay. So when people well, were playing Cliffs of Dover. That was you? That was actually me. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is weird as shit. <laughs> yeah. Or, or Black Magic Woman yeah, was, was me. Yeah, that's you too? Yeah. Oh, man, that's hilarious. And that was I just, played that one. Yeah, it, dude, it's, it's a, I, I, somebody showed me a video like Post Malone going, I learned how to play Glissadora from Guitar Hero. And you're like, and now he buys guitars. Right. That's and, wild. And that's my friend Eric because I've known, I've known Eric for a while and he's mm-hmm. like, when people would go up to him, like, man, I love your guitar. I was like, well, that was my friend James, actually. I oh, that's- I didn't play that. <laughs> but that's one of those weird things. Like, it, it wasn't about a job application. It was about, well, that just sounds like fun. You're in the right yeah, place let's at do the it. right time. Oh, sure, I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. it. I didn't make any money from it. I just did it. That's what, hey, get this man some royalties. That, that, I, that thing did okay. I, I, I just want a burrito <laughs> at lunch tonight. I, I worked pretty cheap, dude. Uh, I'll get you a burrito. See, thank you. Yeah. See, you're taking care of me. See mm-hmm. that? But so those, those are the weird, that's one of the, one of weird little sets of experiences that it's hard to remember me for me to to kind of bring up because that's why I, mean, I say like my career path is constantly zigging and zagging like that because mm-hmm. none of that makes any sense. Is like, well, I got I worked here and I worked here and I worked here. It it does though in the tale that you've woven so far. It I'm hopefully like, does I'm a like, little bit. Oh yeah, I get it, and I can I can relate to a smaller degree because there were for a while I do a little bit less of this now, but. Early on, when I started getting into this industry, I worked with a lot of different pedal brands. And that largely was like on their socials, but that led into, you know, all right, we got some yeah. prototypes for you to yep. check out. And I'm like, man, hey, doing the same. Like when you're like, oh, taking notes about the pickups. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm taking notes about pedals. Like, why is the range like this? This is stupid. That shit, yep. that doesn't work, you know? Like, yep. and uh, so it was like, I, I can relate to a, a smaller degree on some of these projects. It's, it's, it's exactly that because it has to be more detailed than, I don't like it. Right. Why don't you? Why like don't it? you like it? Yeah. What's what's bugging you about it? And some people, that is all they'll give you. Right. I don't like it. What's wrong with it? Doesn't work for me. Doesn't work. Well, why? But and then and they can't tell. They literally can't tell you. They yeah. just know that. Nah. Didn't work. Didn't but, work. But there's certain other folks who we would probably look at it and go, "Well, what pickups were you using? Mm-hmm. What amp did you have? Yep. What were you trying to play? What was the pedal before? What was the pedal after? Mm-hmm. What, what string gauge you on? Yeah. Are you sure you didn't have a bad cable? Yeah. Like. Hmm. Like, uh, what, what, like, what, it, it literally, you start going down that yep. rabbit hole. Power supplies. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's the constant one. Oh, yeah. Power supply power are you supplies. using? Oh. Like, oh, just this random wall ward I had in the drawer. I'm like, well, no wonder it was noisy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's even more funny because I got into that too. Oh, I'll give you another weird one. I got into that. So here's another weird product that, that kind of came and went. Mm-hmm. There, this is, I don't know if I've ever told the story, but, uh, in the 90s, I got into power supplies and batteries. Okay. Mid-90s uh, or so. And there was a company called ADA. I remember. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that guy goes, hey, you got a whole bunch of ideas, don't you? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, well, throw me one. Let me make you something. So I had him make me. This is before there were ever isolated power supplies. I said, right. I want a four-output isolated power supply. 
where two of the outputs give me the sound of the uh, the battery at a low voltage. Because mm-hmm. I want my fuzzes to be on lower voltages. Yeah. No one ever done that before. Wow. So he made me one and he called it the Batman. <laughs> and you can probably go on to Reverb and before before he closed shop, he started making these power supplies. I remember those. Yeah. Yeah, it was I've a little box. Yeah. And and he's just like, Well, this is all yours. I'm like, Yeah, I just want it for me. I, I didn't I actually that's a terrible businessman thing. Is I I didn't ask for any I just like if you could just make this, I just want one for me. Because mm-hmm. I was too busy actually, you know, playing gigs at that point, doing other stuff and getting sort of out of the guitar player thing and I wanted to do other things and I just wanted somebody to make the cool stuff I thought I needed. Yeah. So here's the funny thing. I was also friends, uh, really close friends with uh, Josh Fyden who's the uh, founder of Digital Music which is also Voodoo Labs. Okay. There you go. So, so he, un- I, and I didn't know this, he, he, he saw the Batman thing. He goes, oh, look at those trimmers on those outputs. Oh, I'm working on this thing called a pedal power. So maybe I should take that <laughs> and maybe make my own version of that. And then funny enough, this is, and I didn't know he was doing that. He asked me another day, going, oh, what, what pedal is that? I'm like, well, I just sort of made it up. It's like, well, what is it? I said, I made a box that does a parallel dry, with, along with a, I could put a tube screamer or a tube driver in and mix it. Mm-hmm. And I put it in a little box I had it in my rack. So gigging, he's like, well, that's a good idea. So just now, again, a couple of, within two years of that, there's a thing called a sparkle drive, <laughs> which came out of my rack because I just would start making crap up on my own. Mm-hmm. So he made that and he goes, and then he put out the pedal, pedal power and he's like, oh, I forgot to tell you that. He didn't know that I had given that to somebody else. Oh. So, so this is this is how, when I told you, I'm already telling you secrets I shouldn't have said, but, <laughs> but you can see the weirdness in, in that. So eventually this all goes somewhere, trust me. Uh, when I decided to take a break from digital, which mm-hmm. is line six, yep. and, and I loved everybody there. I still talked to a lot of those folks. I'm like, you know, I want to get back into just analog pedals and take a break from, line six got really big. It was a big company then. Mm-hmm. And I needed a break. I was burnt. And Josh goes, oh, why don't you just work? Why don't we just work on stuff at Voodoo Lab and, and if you want to go play with digital, just do it on your own time. Um, so me and Josh started working together at Voodoo Lab. Got it. And then we started redesigning pedals and and switching systems. And it was a nice break. And every once in a while, I would help a friend out. So I ended up working on a product called Eleven for Avid on the side. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I wrote all the presets for that as a fun as a fun thing because like, well, I don't want to get into digital. I won't work there, but. If you just, I don't mind doing the presets because that's fun for me. Yeah, it is fun. So, so now you can see I'm going left and right again all mm-hmm. over the place. So that's where, uh, at the point where I started to know everybody in this business. Yeah. So when this this is going to land some really strange. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it. Let's, yeah, get, let's get weird. It's going to get weird because, uh, you know, if you're around long enough and you do an okay job, you know, people just recommend you for stuff. And... You know, I'd gotten a call from a friend who I'd worked with Line 6 years before that. He was now working at UA. And he calls me up. He's like, hey, can you help us consult on some stuff? I'm like, yeah, yeah, what are you doing? He's like, just, just some sounds. I'm like, great. Because he knows I don't want to get in digital anymore. I'm, I'm done. I'm taking a break. <laughs> um, uh, and he's like, well, the, the owner of the company is going to be in LA. You mind meeting him? I'm like, ah, sure. Tom, come on over. So I started meeting this guy, Bill Putnam. And uh start hanging out and I find out he's a guitar. The owner of UA is a guitar player. Okay. He loves jam bands. He grew up with his dad who invented almost the studio scene and the great recording systems of those days and worked with Nat King Cole and also he remembers being a kid and seeing the greatest jazz musicians in the world and 
all these crazy sessions in LA. So he's got a serious music background. And uh, I just started hanging out with these guys. And then, you know, a couple of years of that goes by. And and then one day, uh, Greg, my friend Greg and uh, Levin and, and Bill, Bill asked me one day, he's like, he's like why, why don't you just do all that stuff you do for us now? Just kind of the same thing I kind of experienced before. It's like, just work here. Just, I'm like, but you guys don't make guitar products. Yeah. I'd be bored. They're like, so I told him no. I told Bill oh. no. As we were hanging, I was like, no, I don't want to work. I'd rather just hang. I love you guys. It's great. About when was this? And like, what year roughly um, was that? This is at least eight years ago. Okay. Nine years ago. All right. Um, I think, yeah, it had to be somewhere in there, seven, eight years ago at least. It's like, oh, no, dude, I, I just not doing guitar. That's really where I live. You know, if I do something, because I did love recording and I did a lot of that, it, unless it was based around guitar, I would just, it, nah. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit more time goes by, and he's like, what if we did guitar stuff? Mm. Okay. And I'm like, I don't know. And I talked to my friend Josh. Who, me and him were family, basically. I said, Josh, well, you know, I took a break from digital, and I'm doing my love stuff, and I love you. What if, what if I still work for you, but I just do this stuff from the digital with the UA guys because they want to do something that might be kind of cool? He's like, yeah, why not do it? He's like, I literally told him, I was like, dude, I got so many years left on my ears for doing sound design. Right. You know, I, I, they, they're doing something. I, I think we have an interesting idea. And, you know, a few more years goes by. I start working, work for them. Four days a week, I do one day a week at Buddha Lab to make sure I didn't leave him in a lurch. I didn't want to leave him hanging. Totally. Because I was, I was vice president of that company at that point. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but we're, again, it's just like, we're all friends. We're, we all knew each other. He's like, no, you should go do it. And uh, and we found a really great VP to to take over there, and and I would just kind of help him with stuff, and then I started working on those digital products for UA, which one of them ended up becoming the Ox. Oh wow, that thing's incredible too. Yeah. It's it could have not been anything if it was because uh, believe you me, that was a hard sell because because to the, you, not to me as much as uh, to somebody. You have to imagine walking into a room full of guys who are doing great Apollos and all the plugins and going, I want to make this box. It has no readout on it. It doesn't really connect to your computer. It doesn't need it. It's going to be plugged into a tube amp. Oh, hold like, on. What? Like 60-year-old <laughs> technology. Yeah. And, but, you know, there was a few folks there who really wanted it. And like, well, you know, but it's, it's for recording. Just imagine everyone who's got these amps. They could just plug it into this thing, and they'll sound like they're in a great studio, and they'll be able to track at home. And some of us all kind of like, no, this is a good idea. And like, well, let's just do it. And it was pretty funny through the development of that it was just me uh, and one other uh, algo person. I sort of figured out this way because I loved recording guitar and designed like, well, what the mics were, the cab. I, I had all this stuff already. Like my own mic mm-hmm. collection and cab, vintage cab collection. Like I know how to do this. We, I know what we're going to do. And do the room and put the mics up. And then we developed this stuff along with a really great mechanical design team and, and invented all this new tech to put into this attenuator circuit, which was half analog. And the other half was all this heavy new digital technique stuff. It was all based around guitar sounds, though. Yeah. So for me, it's like they handed me the professor of, you know, DSP invention at Stanford, essentially, for two years. Oh, like, wow. Oh, here's this guy. Like, well, then let's go. Let's start blowing up speakers. Let's figure out speaker breakup and cone cry and why it does it. And we just scientifically figured out all these things about cabinets. And Because he would, I said, well, here's what I know it's doing. Can you tell me how we replicate that in software? Mm-hmm. How do we make the cone cry happen or or not happen? Was there any pushback internally? Because obviously, 
there's a lot going into the ox. Yeah. That was there any push and and well, let me add a couple other things to that. And traditionally, UA has catered to really high end studio right. stuff who are accustomed to paying high end studio mm-hmm. prices for things because it's worth it. Yeah. Guitar players can sometimes be that way, but like we we joke around sometimes with me and my friends. We're like, you think guitar is expensive? Start a recording oh, studio. Oh, start a recording studio. Yeah. Oh no, oh, it's, it's, it's painful. <laughs> and to do stuff right from an analog and mechanical design standpoint, it's expensive. It's really expensive. Really yeah. difficult. So, so, was there any pushback against like guitar players aren't going to spend that kind of money? Oh yeah, it, we we got to a point where we had this thing almost running, and we had to have meetings with at least like. Someone Sweetwater or a guitarist and go, look, let me just preview this for you. Do you think this is even going to sell? We weren't sure. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. Some of the numbers for those kinds of products sold in the tens. Wow. And I'm not even kidding you. Wow. Like some of the, and the years it, that go into it. I mean, because, you know, mm-hmm. w- w- there weren't a whole lot of options for, because you would just buy any old attenuator, a bunch of resistors in a box. There was never yeah. any hardcore. A few companies were trying to do this, but like their numbers were terrible. It's like, well, I know I've already blown more research time and development money just getting to this point. But they were like, okay with it. Like, it was an experiment. And and one day they're like, well, we don't know if this is going to fly. And the owner of the company is like, yeah, but I want to mess with it. So let's just do it. <laughs> so here's a guy justifying this extremely high cost of a, well, a bill of material. Mm-hmm. Bomb. It was through the roof. It was like, he's like, yeah, but I want one. He, he, I, had this, I had this presentation. He's like, don't worry about it. Yeah, and, and well, that, then had he tried, you know, a prototype at oh, that point? He'd mm-hmm. seen some stuff, and he just knew that it was going to be cool, and he knew it, and he just felt it. And he's like, "Yeah, I don't care. We just need to do this." And See, that that that's the thing you need to find someone to when you work for them or the team to go. And you always, I'm saying, not saying someone was doing a bad job. They did the right thing by going, "Yeah, the cost is high." You can't tell me we're going to sell more than twelve of these a month, right? <laughs> and they're super expensive. <laughs> It's like, or I'm just giving you a number that's in there's called forecasting, but uh, you know, I couldn't tell you how many they were going to sell. Oh yeah, and it was not going to be a high number because there's just weren't any of those out there that sold it very well at all. Where that most people were even using. It's not like saying we're going to make a new Les Paul because you could go, well, how many Les Pauls does Sweetwater sell? Right. And they're and like, oh, they sell they sell this many. Yeah. They make ten thousand. Let's just call it ten thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, well, if we if we get 5% of the market of that, that's still a pretty significant number of instruments. Yeah. I'm like, we don't know how many of these things sell. Most people don't buy them. And maybe we could sell five a month. Well, and the the reason I think, I'm just assuming, at the time, there weren't really any other good ones. So now you have the Ox and like, uh, there's a Boss one. I forget what it's called. The Tube Amp uh, yeah. Something I forget, not attenuator, but uh, right, right. It is, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it's also very expensive. Yeah, and there's and, a bunch uh, of other people re- yeah. redesign theirs to kind of to come up to modern because the ox now, changed it. You know, we, we the, sort it, of it, made it you essentially uh, you basically invented a new product category because attenuators <laughs> have always been around. Right, and they're always they've been. They're fine. It's they're a, great. I, and I use them. I yeah. love. I, I. I. But I'm a nerd, so yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I had a hot plate back in the day. You yeah, know, or, it works, yeah. but. The ox is something else. Because it, it was doing stuff nobody had finally put together. Look, I, when, it, when it comes out of this box, it needs to sound like Van Halen 1984. Yep. It needs to sound like the Guelo from ZZ Top. It needs to literally sound like the Almond Brothers live film raced. Well, what's so great about this new era of stuff, especially for, for me, who I just crave 
the sound of loud tube amps yeah. in the room. That's what I want. I actually built my whole studio at home just because I I wanted that so bad. And yeah. at the time I had done it, this was about six, seven years ago, there wasn't a great way to right. do it quietly. If that had come out before then, I may never have built it. Right. But, uh, but, you know, I'm glad I built it. But what I was, where I'm going with that is like, these things are actually going to save generations of musicians hearing. Yeah. Because we still want that. We want oh. that feel. Oh, yeah. I really genuinely think that my hearing has definitely been preserved by some of these things because I'm like, oh, I don't have to do that all the time. Right. I can still get most of that feel at a low volume and truly have an enjoyable experience in a way that wasn't possible eight-ish years oh, ago. Oh, no, no. I can tell you now There's no. uh, there was periods of... Uh, uh, we used to do these 100-watt, 50-watt amp roundups of guitar player. Mm -hmm. So imagine three days of listening to 100-watt amps on 5, 6, 7, 8 all day long. Yeah. And I, I was really young when I was doing it, but at some point, I'm like, man, I got to not do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I used to I used to like taking 100-watt marshals to gigs, too. Oh, of course. So Who doesn't like to do that? They're great. Yeah. I, 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 you know, having a, I used to take a twin reverb and a 412 cab, a 100-watt marshal and a 412, and sometimes a Leslie. And that, that's what happens when you watch too many Danny Gatton you know, instructional <laughs> videos. You start having a Leslie going on all the time. And it's like, man, not only is all this gear heavy, it's freaking loud. It's loud. And like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty particular. Having like lost an eyeball already, I'm pretty particular yeah. about preserving my oh, yeah. uh, you the rest it. of my body. Uh, yep. So, you know, I'm always the guy with earplugs in at, at things where other people may not think about it. And then, yeah. you know, for us, it's like, well, this is how we, this is how we make our living. Oh, oh you know, yeah. Like, yep, 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 yep. I you, we should all be a little more careful. So mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't go and enjoy your, a loud concert, but use your protection if you can. And well, and just think about it. You know, if you're doing it every night, really should consider something, even if it's not as comfortable. But, you know, if you're doing it once every once in a while, you probably are, right? And, and I will Consult say... Consult your well, audiologist. I'm not one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sure you have 14K left in your hearing. Yeah. But I will say, get away from the drummer. I blame the drummer because it's usually, uh, and, and funny that it's partly serious because, you know, cymbals will kill you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you, you being careful if you're too close to a crash cymbal because sometimes they would put the cymbals almost at your ear. Mm -hmm. right? And if you're on a smaller stage, one crack of that. Yeah. After a while, you realize that it's like, once you've gotten to normalize that, you realize like, oh, man, I've got no high end left. Because mm -hmm. there's just, yeah. or hats and then one good snare whack and you go, and you're done. Yep. You know, so it's being very careful to with your own rig and then getting away from drummers, which is always probably a good idea. <laughs> Get away from the drummers. Get away from the drummers. They're, they're girlfriends. <laughs> they're, they're, they're problems, if you can. <laughs> Sorry, drummers. My brother's a drummer. So I can say that. You got to stay away from him. You got you yeah. to gotta love him. It's tough love. It's yeah, tough they, love, man. <laughs> That's just me because I think my brother used to, drum, he used to throw drumsticks at me. Uh, well, the, he's like, I want to play that song. Yeah. Yeah. He hit me in the back of the head with a drumstick during it. I'm doing, doing a gig. I'm not even kidding you. He's like, not that song. He's like, I don't want to play Pride and Joy. <laughs> Yeah, that's when he's three years younger than me, an honoree and a six foot four football player. So, what was I going to say? No? Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, let's uh, fast forward a little bit. Uh, so, we did the ox, and then obviously, there's all these pedals that have came out that you know, I'm told you have a little something to do with. Yeah, yeah, it's um, we have a, a, a good team of folks. Uh, we brought in uh, everyone, we'll call him Pedal Jesus, okay, uh, Tor. He was, oh, he was at TC yeah, for a long time, yeah, yeah. So we, we brought Tor in and he, he became our product manager to start thinking about product lines and mm -hmm. 
And I was working on all these new sounds and designing stuff. And he's like, well, what if we just start, you know, what if we did these? We could make some pedals. And I had been working on a bunch of stuff that, um, honestly, um, stuff that was too DSP heavy to even fit on an Apollo or Shark. Whoa. Yeah, I was working a few years ahead of everybody thinking, well, I'm just going to work on this stuff. So these things were starting to pop. I'm like, well, God, hopefully one of the hardware kind of catches up because we need a really powerful process to mm -hmm. do this. And then we, we worked on the effects stuff. And thankfully, that hardware ended up with a much more powerful processor. Yeah. A four-core thing that was a lot more powerful than a shark. And I was like, man, I've got, I've been working on this AC30 type stuff for years now. And these modified sort of um, black panel circuits. And, and it's like, man, we got to find a place. I wonder if we can run these on here. It's not, I wanted them in a piece of hardware. And so we, we, I took a little bit longer than that. And we were able to, to get these things running on there because otherwise it would like, the compute power it took to run these amp models was through the roof. Wow. Because we did every single component and everything all the way down to like the, you know, the way that the power amp would squeeze with the transformer and mm -hmm. all this weird stuff. So I'm just, I'm jumping you to the very end of that, which is, you know, ending up with something that's pedal sized that actually sounds like two AC30 top boosts. Yeah. Yeah. This was my first experience with them. It was this weekend. Oh, wow. And so I was, I was, I'd heard a lot of good things. And um, my friend Ryan Burke does 60 cycle hum. He has been raving about the dream. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves that thing. I know Thank he's God. very oh. particular about his Fender. You know, oh man, me tones. too. Yeah. yeah so yeah. he he's like he's like this is the best one. He's like this is the best emulation yeah. that that's at. We're, whether it's a pedal wow. or a plug in, he's like this is absolutely. And so I I went in pretty. I'm like all right. Oh, well, I'd be uh, like, how could it be? I, I would be totally skeptical. <laughs> I was like, somebody okay. told me that. Yeah. I went in and, and and played it this weekend through monitors. Oh, nice. Not through even through like a. A proper guitar cab or right, anything. Right. Just threw the monitors there and I was like, wow. Like, whoa, wow. this thing is whoo. It's pretty crazy, it's man. It's crazy. It's a, yeah. It's uh I played them all, but like that one was the one I started with, and I was like, all right, let's dig in. Let's oh, go man. to the rest. Oh, you know? dude, I, I believe you me, it's a I, I am such a fender nut. I mean, I remember 30 years ago opening my twin reverbs and putting those mods in my amps. Mm-hmm. You know, things where you disconnect the tremolo. I'd have, I, I'd, a friend of mine was also an amp tech. And he's like, well, what if we try this? Let's rebias this. Let's pull this out. Let's put a deep switch in it. And, and I started, I, it was, honestly, it was because I had no money. I had to learn how to fix my own amps too. Mm -hmm. Like I blew a, a power uh, tube and it also took out the socket. So I had to figure out like, how do I replace a tube socket? I'm just this kid with a solder iron doing horrible stuff. Yeah. So I, I was fearless at modifying my own amps. Mm-hmm. And asking people, like, let's just, because honestly, this stuff was not worth much back then. Right. You know, I was like, oh, you could find a twin reverb, probably still can, a, a used twin reverb for a few hundred bucks somewhere. Mm, I don't know about a few hundred. Maybe not a few hundred Not anymore. a few hundred. They were practically free back in the day because everyone on rack gear or smaller amps. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was a good platform to test stuff. And then, unfortunately, I, I had a dumble for a while and got into dumbles. Oh, you did? So I know the circuits of dumbles. Well. Uh, oh, God, God bless you. Alexander mm -hmm. Dumble. Uh, when the things he was doing were basically twin reavers, to be honest with you. They were yeah. high, they were high headroom. Some of these, based on actual, they had fender transformers in them. Mm -hmm. Like twin reaver transformers, literally stamped fender on them. And the circuit, you could just see the black panel circuit, the AB76. I won't even, sorry, I won't bore you with model numbers. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> no, um, no, 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 no. This is what the yeah. show's for. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain model number of black panel amp that it's all based on. And 
you could see the middle cap, you know, the 0.022047, you start learning the circuit. There's not that much to it. And I would start figuring that out. So, uh, you know, I, and getting, getting into Dumbles, which at that time they were $2,000, $3,000. They weren't expensive. That's three, all they three, were three grand then? Used ones. Nobody wanted the used ones. Wow. The, the Santa Cruz era ones that were silver panel yeah, yeah. with the velvet. Nobody would, people wanted the modern ones that like Robin Ford had. Right. Which was the smaller ones, black panel. Because mm-hmm. that was like, if you're going to get a boutique, get a new one, have him make you a new one. Because he but, was constantly refining his techniques for but the wasn't, player. But uh, wasn't he very selective about who could buy one? Well, that was the problem. Is yeah. he, wouldn't, he wouldn't sell you one. <laughs> yeah. so, so for me, I was a broke kid going, well, and I, it was one that was floating around San Francisco that I had for a long time. And I couldn't afford to keep the thing. And I'm like, well, we're going to sell it unless you can pay some more. And it ended up going to Japan. It's like, well, I guess I should have just gotten a bank. In retrospect, I should have got a bank loan well, for sure. four grand yeah. and given him some extra cash to just let me keep the thing. I, I, I should have not, got, you know, I shouldn't have let it out of my hands. But because I've seen it around uh, in Japan now. Oh, wow. The you same know, one. Orange velvet okay. eras. But, but I knew that amp inside now. And other ones, uh, just from other friends. I'd see them at stores all the time. Yeah. And a lot of them sucked, I'll be honest with you. Really? Um, I've never plugged into one. Yeah, they, they're the best and worst amp you could ever play through. And I mean this in a loving way, because you could tell some of them were designed for a certain player's style. Right. And then you'd go like, oh, this is either too sterile, too tight, or too squishy, or too mid-rangey. And then you realize, like, well, the overdrive in this one's really mid-rangey, because it was voiced for having maybe a... Altec or a JBL or some mm-hmm. weird speaker where he was overcompensating for a certain frequency, which is the same. Okay, let's just back back that up for a second. What does that mean? I'm talking about like sometimes when a two screamer doesn't work in a rig and when it does. When it does work, it worked in like a Stevie Ray rig because Stevie had stuff that was sort of mid-scooped yep. and the tube screamer puts the mids back. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, great, that works. So you realize, well, with, a, with an amp, a lot of it has to be voiced with that speaker. So sometimes changing that speaker would help, but so there's just, just a lot to it of what somebody personally likes in an amp. Yeah. But I still love them all. I love them all in a certain way. And I have other friends that still use them, you know? Totally. Um, but, you know, that was a dangerous thing for me to go into because then I started having these basically Fender amps that had some new mods that we just came up with and some were like, well, I want the Dumble Deep, which is like one capacity you throw in the basement. Right. So I want Deep. I'm going to do the tone stack lift or I'm going to put the accent switch. If, if anyone knows Dumbles, I'll know that you used to have an accent switch. It was basically presence. So when we started doing this pedal, it's like, yeah, I I, I want to do this. And I had already worked on it with um, this, uh, my DSP designer, this guy, Ross. He torn the things apart and he'd measured everything. And like, well, we have the stock one. I was like, yeah, but now I want to modify it. Oh, I'm sorry, Because <laughs> it sounds like just like the real thing. But if I really wanted to make this the best gigging amp, I'd immediately put a tremolo disconnect to get the gain up, mm-hmm. which are things that like Caesar Diaz would do to Stevie's yep. amps. I would immediately do a tone stack lift, which is what Dumble did in all of his amps, which is essentially removing the Fender tone stack. Yep. It just doesn't load it down. You get all this gain and the mid-range comes back. Yep. And it sounds we, really cool. It's the best. I, yeah. I, I love that's the favorite. My mm-hmm. favorite thing is to get that mid-range back slowly and to pull it the, the vibrato thing. So yeah. So it was a matter of like, well, we started putting all of this in there. And I'm like, man. And I talked to Tor. He's like, well, we could just put it, let's put it on a mod switch. And we kind of got it figured out how to get it in the pedal. And and hopefully everyone gets it. I think I think some of it made sense to you when you start. Oh, yeah. Once you engage it, because I tried to get it all on one knob. So one knob as it's doing that, it's like having me back there going, okay, 
Now let's pull the pull the trim circuit, mm-hmm. and then we'll start pulling the tone stack. It's like kind of on the fly doing all of these things at one in one turn of a knob. Right. Um, so hopefully it, it does that. And I used to like to clip the bright caps on a Deluxes too. Okay. Uh, to which if anyone remembers you know, like a twin or a super, you'd actually have the switch. Yep. Deluxes on the right channel, the bright caps hardwired in. Got it. So as the volume gets lower and you get clean a headroom, you also get really bright. Yes. And sometimes that's not good for uh, for certain sounds. So like one of the mods is just in the lead mod, if you're doing a clean sound, you turn it on a little bit, I cut the bright cap. It's amazing because of the way the modeling has been done because at the component level. Right, it's component you level. Can actually, yeah. You can actually do that. Whereas, yeah. you know, some of the other ways that people do it where they just send a signal through and kind of emulate. it. What I didn't realize until maybe a year or two ago is it went, that's great. And that right. can work when you want it set exactly One like thing. that. Right. But as soon as you start turning knobs, it's like kind of throwing like an EQ pedal into it. And you're just, you're not really uh, changing it right. the way that it actually changes things. There, sort of. You just nailed it. There. It's, it's actually two common techniques as you have signal modeling, which you just said is you, mm-hmm. can, you can EQ something like something else. And if it stays there, you're probably okay. Yeah. Circuit modeling is what's going to happen when something actually scales. Yeah. So if you've done a circuit model, when I move the volume from like nine to four, it's going to sound different. Yeah. It's not just the same signal up, turned down. Right. Just like we just talked about that bright cap. The If you're doing a signal model, you move that volume down, it's not going to know there was a bright cap. It put that frequency in there. Right. But it doesn't respond to It doesn't the same respond way. to that. It's yeah. not going to do the same thing. So the only way to do this stuff was to do circuit modeling of every single piece of the amp, all the way down to knowing Oh, this is sound terrible. The capacitance of like the wiring harnesses. Uh-huh. Like we got that far into it. That's I mean, that's what you, that's what you have to do though. Yes, it's it's, it's one of the <laughs> things that you know, it's it's it it makes a difference. You you there are things that are not on a schematic. You know, just because I put this tube into this part and this sounds like this doesn't tell you the whole story. No. No, you're missing some things there. And it and it's specifically with amps. You know, with pedals, the signal is so much smaller that things react in a little yep. more, oh, yeah. uh, I don't want to say consistent, but a little more expected way yep. when you do certain things with a, an analog pedal. And, oh, man. Yeah. And, but an amp, you're putting so much more juice through it. Oh. Things really, it's it's a very different thing. Oh, it's a hostile environment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the first things I learned when I got my first used Marshall was uh, it used to oscillate and it was it had a real nasty problem with the first input um, when I turned it up too loud. And I'm reading some other books and tech and you realize like, oh, a lot of people used to remove the wire off of that and you'd use a, a shielded wire mm-hmm. and you'd rod it around the board. Yeah. And that's like one of the mods was just upgrading the one cable, the one wire from the input jack to the first tube mm-hmm. and getting it around from where it would oscillate with the other cables. Okay. Like little stuff like, like, well, sure, does it sound like voodoo? Yes. But it's good layout design. Like there's there's people who do layout. Mm-hmm. That's, it, it matters. And Dumble took it to a whole other level. I'm not saying this capacitor too close to this one is the magic right. you know, <laughs> measurement of three millimeters from the resistance. It impacts there, the crystal lattice. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the, the crystal lattice does not like your brown board design. He likes gold-plated boards. You know, we're, we're not talking about leprechauns coming out of amps and blessing things and, and pots of gold anywhere. Because it starts to sound crazy like that. Yeah. Like, well, it has to be at this volume and it has to be 
this specific brand of tubes. There's a, something to all of it because all those little pieces matter. But I try to stick to stuff that maybe this small thing, this small thing does add up to something that's a significant change in your, mm-hmm. your tone. Definitely. And, and that does come from pick up height, your cables, you know, the quality of your patch cable, or the quality of your buffer in the pedal that's handing off the signal to the next pedal, mm-hmm. your tubes, all of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're talking to the right guy because, you know, me and my business partner, we get down to like, you know, the how big of the, we do, we do strings. So the amount of different ways you can wrap metal around metal will just astound oh, yeah. people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whether it's a hex core. Yeah. How big the, oh, the mm-hmm. wrapping of the. Yeah, oh. you know. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Oh, I've studied strings you, too, unfortunately. You, see, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've retentioned sets of, I've, I have a friend at uh, Dunlop and I have a weird set of strings where I completely retensioned all the gauges mm-hmm. for myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. yeah worth. That would be a whole nother podcast. Yeah, and that's the, again, that was just for fun. <laughs> like, man, I'm really getting into pedal steel on guitar, mm-hmm. and I want an even, consistent tension on each string, mm-hmm. at least for the first four, so I can pull up, down, do pedal steel stuff. Okay. But still be a 10-gauge set mm-hmm. of strings. So you know, but these nine point somethings and fourteen point somethings. Yep, exactly. We won't go there. <laughs> this, is <laughs> why I, this is why I don't get nice things. No, no, this see. is no. This, you're the, we'll, we'll, we'll figure this, it out. We'll talk. Is, we'll see, talk. this is why I can't leave the house, right? No, you I'm glad. Why, I'm know? glad they let you out. See, it's terrible. <laughs> we're, we're not even. This doesn't have anything to do with anything else other than, you know, the the weird thing of again, dudes in a room with a bunch of gear going crazy. Yeah, we're like you know, we, we really get. Down to the nitty gritty really fast. Yeah, yeah. I, I will. I will stop myself at telling you how many times I used to blind taste uh, op amps and tube screamers. Oh, I believe that. I believe that. And this was thirty years ago. <laughs> Putting a socket in and listening to yep. all the different forty five fifty eights. I just yeah. I just went through that with another pedal. So yeah. yeah. I, oh, uh, <laughs> is that a JRC? Oh man, that's the gold right there. Oh, I'm gonna stop right there. I better stop. I better stop. Well, hey man, this has been awesome. I usually wrap these up with two classic questions. Oh. And uh, we'll, we'll just go ahead and hit that first one real quick. People have been really fast with this one. Right. What is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, dude, good one. I lived on a DD3 for yeah, a long yeah, time. It, a it's metal. just a classic delayed, very early digital delay. Um, you know, it, it, it never failed on me. Mm-hmm. Okay, one, I bought a second one. Only because I think it had this first one had too much beer spilled in it or something, <laughs> and they, sometimes they, the switches wouldn't engage. Get a little after sticky, a while. yeah, a little sticky. Mm-hmm. So I had a second one because uh, it it uh, it sounded. Uh, unfortunately, I, I got into the Roland SDE delays. Oh yeah, ones. oh yeah. And those early DD threes had the same chip. Oh, I didn't realize. That. Oh yes, some, I did. Yeah, some I of the early Japan that. ones. Yeah. You look at it. There's a giant. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Is that the one they they supposedly locked the engineers in the room? I said, there's that's rumors. What, that's of this what they stuff, say. That sounds. A little bit out there, but yeah, I like, I, I like the romanticism. I like the, of, oh, yeah. dude, the story is great. It's all about the story. <laughs> but that, but I had a rack when I realized, like, oh, this thing sounds really. Good. Oh, you know what? I forgot about this. I forgot about this. I did. I interviewed somebody who works at Boss. His name is Matt Knight, and this was years ago. Mm-hmm. He also does another podcast uh, called the Guitar Nerds. But oh, nice. he he's a huge Boss fanatic, and I forgot. He did confirm. He's like, yes, that story is true. Oh, okay, I, good, I good. forgot about that. Yes, he did tell me that. Okay, it's all coming. This was like three years ago. So, See, yeah. and, and did I just give you like the worst answer? Because it should have been something cool like the VB2 or something. I like the DD3. And it's a great, you, you can't go wrong Actually, with it. all of the DD metals. Like they're, all, they're, all, they're all insane. You know, DD2s mm-hmm. and a little, a little warmer. 
apparently. Uh, you know what? Again, that's one of those pedals. I just, if I had to grab and go something, I could grab like a Tube Screamer and a DD3 and, and just go. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. All right, now this one is a little more intense. This a little bit, uh, right. you know, it's broken up families. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a big deal. Okay, so. okay. What kind of pizza do you like? Ooh, man. Specifically, okay. what I usually say is, what's your favorite kind of pizza? Okay, well, yeah. this this changed in the last week. Okay, let's go for and it. And there is a guitar nerd story attached to it. All right. So, I have a, a good friend and neighbor named Josh Smith. Okay. Oh, that Josh Blues Smith? Blues guitar yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Josh yeah. Smith is mm-hmm. like my down-the-street neighbor. Mm-hmm. So, he calls me up last week. You know, he's like, he's off the road from Joe's thing. And it's like, uh, let's go to Norm's. If anyone knows what Norm's rare guitar is. I think they do. Yeah. yeah. Norm's was one of I love Norman to pieces. He's he's taken care of me for so many years, uh, and he's been in the hospital. Um, without getting too uh, much of a bummer, love you, Norm. Uh, get better. Uh, we're like, well, let's just go stop by the store, and maybe we'll get some lunch and go to one or two other just there's some other stores. Yeah. And so I love New York style pizza sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So he's like, I got this new pizza place, and Josh will tell you he is. The best at finding you the worst for you food. Okay. <laughs> like if you want to fr- find like fried like hot chicken or something, mm-hmm. ask Josh. Perfect. No vegetables, ask Josh. Cool. Um, and he will straight up tell you. Uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm in, dude. So he came and picked me up. We went to his favorite pizza place. And uh, again, nothing crazy. New York style pizza. Mm-hmm. But we did a split. Half pepperoni. Mm-hmm. And it was when a little pepperoni start to get a little curl. Oh, on yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. that was half. And he's like, and I love this. I, I have it once in a while. But the other side was like a sliced meatball. Oh, yes. I have had something like that. Yeah. Before. Mm-hmm. So that was killing. And there's and, and we got like the whole pie and me and him trying to take it down. <laughs> so that, Were you that, successful? I, I wussed. Actually, Josh tore it up. I'm the one that wussed. <laughs> and there's a there's a really bad picture of us like fighting over one last piece of pizza. <laughs> so I would say, you know, uh, uh, the classic, if I can just get a classic New York style slice of pepperoni, you kind of can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. But then the offshoots of that too is like the sliced meatball, again, in that same format's awesome. And then sometimes, I hate to say it, just like a, a mar- just, just like the basil and margarita. Margarita kind of. It's nice. Very simple yeah. flavors and nothing too crazy, you mm-hmm. know. And 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 I don't want to jump on it because what did the pineapple pineapple ever do to us? But oh, yeah, it screw that guy. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, oh, we, I, you and I, we're cut from the same we're good. cloth. No, we're yeah, good, yeah, we, yeah. This is good. I knew yeah. this was gonna be a good episode. See, and, and there's still guitars involved in eating the pizza. Exa- exactly. We had the pizza sweats going into norms. <laughs> we were still all greased off with the pepperoni and meatballs because it's down the street from norms. We well, got the and, Neil Sean salami thing going yeah. on for your fingers. Oh, you know? that and yeah. That. We actually dragged another guitar player into it too. A uh, friend of ours, Blue Saracino, who's a great guitar oh, nice. player. So the three of us are trying to take down all this pizza <laughs> while going guitar shopping. See, this is again, this it's is, all related. This yeah, is, this is this is the life of a guitar player. You know, <laughs> you know let's get some pizza. Let's go look at guitars. Yeah, and, man, and go touch stuff we can't afford. Exactly. Just <laughs> literally, we're all saying like, I can't afford that. Yeah, I don't have nineteen thousand dollars for an L five. Right, ah, but know? I'm gonna play it. I'm pl- oh, we yeah. played. We played, we played, we played mm-hmm. Oh, we touched everything. <laughs> and Norm wasn't around. We went in the back room and went to town. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there were Sonic Blue 62 strats everywhere, 56s with hardtails. Oh, um, 
Mm-hmm. I like the sound of that. You have to bleep out that part. Uh, I might have been quiet enough. You're, you're, probably, gonna, you're probably okay. You're going to get me in trouble with Norm. <laughs> you guys did what when I was in the house? Around? It's okay, Norm. It's fine. I'm sorry, Norm. It's, it's okay, Norm. It's fine. It's I can't go anywhere. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was a blast. Dude, my pleasure. What a blast. Thank that you for so having good. me. Oh, so good. This was even better than I expected. And I had high expectations. So. Oh, I'm sorry. So you, only partially disappointed you. You did great. Yeah. This, was, this was fantastic. So. For James, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. See? See? I told you that was going to be a fun episode. You learned some stuff, didn't you? I know I did. I really related to James in a lot of the things he was saying about how he works with companies and how these relationships are sort of formed by being there and being around and just sticking with it. It was really a very interesting thing for me personally, especially as somebody who does some similar stuff in the industry, but I've only been doing it for like seven years and he's been doing it for however long he told me. I kind of forgot, but a lot longer than seven. But yeah, follow James on Instagram. I'll put that in the show notes. Make sure you check out all the Universal Audio stuff. These pedals are blowing my mind. I have the Golden Reverberator. You may have seen a clip I posted on Instagram, TikTok, slash YouTube Shorts. There's so many places to post these things now. But yeah, I, uh, I'm really enjoying those pedals. And, uh, you know, UA is a, a legendary company for a reason. They make fantastic stuff. They really do, and they always have. So, yeah, make sure you check out Universal Audio. Make sure you check out James. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye, folks. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.